Welcome to another episode of the Augmented Podcast. Augmented reveals the stories behind the new era of industrial operations where technology will restore the agility of frontline workers. Technology is changing rapidly. What's next in the digital factory? Who is leading the change? What are the key skills to learn and how to stay up to date on manufacturing and industry 4.0? In episode 66 of the podcast, the topic is DMG Mori's Digital Lean Journey. Our guest is Marius Schmidt, Head of Operational Excellence at DMG Mori. In this conversation, we talk about DMG Mori's path-breaking digital transformation. We explore what, how the journey felt, operational challenges in the manufacturing industry, and the impact of DMG Mori's massive deployment of no-code apps from Tulip, and the outlook for deep digital transformation of workflows in the manufacturing industry overall. Augmented is a podcast for industry leaders, process engineers, and shop floor operators. Hosted by futurist Trum Arnett-Lindheim and presented by Tulip, the frontline operations platform. Augmented, industrial conversations that matter. Marius, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm excited to talk about DMG Mori. You guys have been, first of all, such a landmark company you know, in European and international manufacturing. And then you've been on this, and I'm sure you still are on this digital lean journey. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about, Marius. But let's get into your role because you have a really key role in this. You're an industrial engineer and I know you have an MBA. So your day job is operational excellence in, in manufacturing. How did you get into this field? And, uh, you know, what brought you to this job that you're doing now at uh, DMG Mori? I'm right now doing operational excellence at DMG Mori. Started three years ago, basically at DMG Mori. How did I come there? I have always been very interested in technology and processes and improvements. That's why I did my industrial engineering degree. And afterwards, I started to work in machinery business right away in the shipbuilding segment. And through different positions, through production, logistics, quality, different projects, also IT related, I move further and had chance also to see the other side, not operational, but uh, from a strategic point of view in another job. So I supported medium-sized German company in finding and defining their digital strategy. It was fully fleshed, so from products through innovation, through technologies, through internal processes. And it showed me that the world is keeping turning. So we will not be where we are as of today, this is clear, but it showed me how strong it's going to change in the future. And this is something that I wanted to bring also into my uh, daily work. And this is why I joined DMG Mori, because they gave me the opportunity to combine traditional improvement thinking with modern uh, technologies and digital approaches. So then bring us into how this journey has happened at DMG Mori. At, at the time when you entered the company, where was DMG Mori in terms of digitalizing its uh, operations? Where was the business? I think that's that's interesting. I mean, DMG Mori has always been a company that is pushing for digital topics. If you look at the past, they have always had also in their own portfolio products and solutions that they offer for external customers. And one of the first things that I learned was if we want to sell it and give it to customers, we need to test it and use it internally. Some people would say, eat your own dog food. <laughs> This is quite strong in our culture. And at the beginning, we were on a trip where we had among our uh, in Europe nine production facilities. We had different ERP systems without MES, um, local solutions, a lot of unprogrammed, partly solutions. I always say the more you went to the real value creation, the less digital it got. So at the end, you end up with, of course, with the hands, the tools, but also with paper. And of course, there were first uh, solutions in place, but we did not have the holistic picture of how digitalization will impact us. You've seen other German and other manufacturers go through this journey as well. Is there something different apart from having this mindset that they needed to go digital? So you said, you know, th there wasn't necessarily an MES in place, even though there were advanced digital solutions in you know, some places, not in others. Was there a path dependency here or an opportunity? Because the digital landscape was not already kind of set in stone? I think for us, 
it was a big opportunity because we have on the one hand an activity it was already ongoing to substitute the ERP landscape with a new system which will also have a global template. So this is a huge opportunity for a company but people said in the past this is the mothership yeah so this will move also slowly. For us, it was a big chance to look at the processes on the on a more detailed level. And if you look at our past, we were very decentralized managed. So plants and factories should have their own processes and solutions. But the more you start with digital topics, the more you find out it's not helpful if you have everywhere different processes in place, because you will need everywhere different solutions for that. And this is a big opportunity to harmonize processes and bring people together to exchange also best practices. So it's a huge opportunity for us. Can you bring us then to the part of this journey where Tulip enters the scene? So Tulip and uh, DMG Mori were introduced at some point in Boston, I believe in 2019. What was your first exposure to Tulip and how were the first conversations unfolding? What, what was the plan what was the first kind of use cases or the first way that Tulip was introduced to the company? And where was it introduced? Was it a leadership discussion mostly or was it a testing, you know, in some business unit? How did it start? The contact came um, through our leadership. So our CEO met the CEO of Tulip in Boston during a trip. And there were different thoughts going on. One thought was this could be ideal also for our customers. So this is why there was the, the push to build up a partnership where DMG Mori can also use their network and bring this good solution to people who are running already DMG Mori products and machines. And the other part of it was that it was very interesting for us to apply it internally because, as I said, we have on our European side nine production facilities that are running manual processes, mainly assembly processes, some also machining processes. But there was a need for something. And this was, I think, the lucky situation that in the end they said, okay, let's try it out. And if it works, we can go both ways. And how did we try it out? We said, okay, there is an area in one of our biggest plants in the south of Germany. They have a pre-assembly area and they said, look, this is kind of your playground. Show that Tulip works. And the project team stuffed up and they digitized this production line within three weeks. And it showed that it's possible. Now, of course, there were a lot of hurdles and we've also learned a lot and uh, things that we would do different today. But it showed that it works and it was for us the starting point to start rolling it out further. Interesting. At this point, I just wanted to, a lot of people will be very familiar with DMG Mori, but just for, for context. So you are a large industrial player. How many facilities do you have around the world and what is the potential scope of, of any system that gets rolled into DMG? Can you give us a quick sort of overview of the sort of factory structure and the production facilities and what sort of numbers of machines you're running? So if you look at our production infrastructure, the name says DMG Mori. We're over the time merged from a European and Japanese path. And today we're having 14 production sites across the world mainly located in Europe, Asia, and the US. And of these 14 production sites, I'm in charge of eight, whereas we have some more legal entities inside. We have more than 140 sales and service organizations globally, internally approximately 12,000 employees. And yeah, we have a implemented a machine base of, I think it's more than 300,000 machines. So it's, it's quite a lot. So that's the landscape. And then you started in one end and uh, Tulip implemented the first iteration of the solution, uh, you know, in three weeks. What exactly was the solution that was implemented? We implemented in our, we call it spindle pre-assembly line. As you know, we are producing so-called tooling machines for turning and milling solutions. And every of these machines needs a spindle to put in a tool to machine something. And the spindle uh, gets pre-assembled in a flow line assembly and this flow line assembly consists of 17 workstations and this was a perfect test because you had on the one hand small enough area to test it so you had some nice system borders but on the other hand you had a big scope to test different things so you start with worker instruction you start with drawings with a bit of material information with certain escalation process right at the workstation we implemented some unknown light system. 
also picked by light, uh, supplied, uh, supported by Tulip. So we try to show the whole scope and, and width of Tulip application. So one of the questions, you know, always with technology implementation is, do you just take the package that you have bought or are you actually able to tweak it yourself? You know, with contemporary IT systems, they have become more configurable, but it varies. What was the process there? So you said you chose some use cases and you started implementing. To what degree would you say it was DMG's employees that built and implemented it? And to what degree did Tulip act more as a facilitator versus kind of they were the ones that set that plan and actually put the whole first solution in motion? For us, it has always been important and is still very important that people are part of this journey. So we believe that this digital journey is just going to work if we involve the people. For our pilot, what we have seen also because it was new, of course, if you don't know the system, you cannot build the system. So we needed support there. This is why there was also strong input from Tulip side, which was very helpful. We learned a lot, but we immediately involved people from the plant. This is why the team was fast, so they could join the domain knowledge that they had in the line together with the solution knowledge of Tulip. But I think and this is for us extremely important to understand. It was for us a very good learning curve to see what should we also apply in further implementations in the other plans. And this is how we later on adapted our training and rollout launch model for the other plans. So in terms of training time, I'm, I'm guessing that would vary depending on, you know, what employees you were dealing with. But just to give me a, an average sense, you know, what does it take to implement Tulip and understand how to start using Tulip in a, in a factory context? Like when rolling a new employee onto a Tulip project, what is the process for that employee, for them to understand what this is about and start being effective as someone who actually builds an app that then can be implemented on a factory shop floor? For us, we have developed a training approach that consists of two modules. One module is, we call it Tulip Basics. It's provided by our DMG Mori Academy. So you learn in four times four hours remotely how Tulip works in general, what are the components of Tulip, what is variables, how do you connect them, what is a trigger, so getting some touch and feel with the system, so being able to build easy apps. And the second module that we have is Tulip Tables. So this is really the point where people can start building advanced apps. And this means that they uh, learn, okay, how do I use table records? How do I build the data model? And how can they start really advancing the apps behind that? Then they are kind of ready to run their use case. And this is for us important. We see that people become really good app builders if they have a good use case right ahead. So it's more to do with the use case than the innate skills of, of the people building it. Is it because traditionally IT systems, right, they rely on the IT department because there are certain software skills that that is needed. Now, you yourself, you are an industrial engineer, not a software engineer. Was that a daunting task to be uh, kind of in charge of a lot of <laughs> technically an IT platform, but, it, you know, an operational technology? Did you feel that there were IT skills needed, you know, for yourself or for your employees? Or would you say that there truly was a no-code platform available that an engineer or any sort of operator could pick up? I'm just trying to understand mm. in practice when you started playing with the tool and, and, you know, implementing it, did it require IT skills or software development skills? When it comes to me, as you said, I'm not a software developer, but anyway, I can build apps. So this shows that it's possible. I think this is positive. In the meantime, we have trained more than 200 people. So this is a big group of people that is capable of building apps. For me, it's always interesting to see we have some people coming from IT departments. Of course, they're super fast in the training because it's like their home turf. But we have also operators joining the training and um, sometimes maybe they need some more time or other colleagues that haven't done any programming in their life. But at least they manage to build apps. And if once they join and if they're interested, they further develop on their use case. If you look at Tulip, and I think it's fair to say it's a no-code platform and you absolutely start with no coding, you can build apps where is no software development skill needed. 
you need logic thinking, and but that's normal. I mean, also if you do a good Excel file, if you wish so, you need some logical thinking, otherwise you will fail. The more you get into Tulip, the more you get into integrating devices, playing with third-party systems, interfaces, APIs, of course, the more you need people that support you on this journey. This doesn't necessarily mean that there is a sharp border between no code and code. It's kind of blurry. And meanwhile, we see that people who have never coded, they are writing connectors to third-party systems. They can define what they want and what they don't want. In the background, of course, we have people from our central IT that are providing these data because they also say for security reasons, I don't want that anybody who is not skilled has access to my ERP data, raw data, for example. And this is where the team comes into place. And I think this is important. Nobody is alone on this journey. Yeah, it's people that are maybe few skilled with programming knowledge, but they learn how to build apps and they have a network. They know people. We are organizing ourselves to get in touch with others in order to find a solution for their specific problem. The language of apps is interesting, right? Because for many people, apps are only things that show up on your phone that do kind of silly things sometimes. And other times, you know, you can buy tickets and, and do very useful things. When you talk about an industrial app, can you give me just an example? So if someone, you know, who is not trained on this or, or has the idea, well, you know, I've heard this interview, I'm, I'm intrigued by this concept, but I don't really understand what an app is or what that would mean for me as someone who is in charge of some industrial process. Can you just explain really easily how you kind of introduce that topic? So an app is obviously an application. So it's anything that helps a person. Normally we talk about operators, frontline operators, but also people that are very close to the real operations. An app is something that has a start and an end normally, and that is providing information, supporting them in their process, or giving them any other kind of required information. Because to give some examples, what I said before, it can be in a pre-assembly kind of a worker instruction for people who haven't done this before. It can be like a training. It can be a quality checkpoint system where you say, okay, I don't care how skilled this worker is, but I want that he or she confirms certain quality checkpoints throughout the process. You can link it with information provision because many times you find on the shop floor drawings and paper in some folders and nobody has a clue if they're still valid, if it's the latest version. So you add this feature to your app, so to say. can be the information which parts do you have to assemble, like which bolts, because I mean, in many times in operations, you find amounts of different bolts or screws to use in your product. So do you use the m5 by 20 or the m5 by 22 and this is something you need to give the people some guidance and information and this is where these apps come into bring really benefit into the process because we're seeing they avoid these small pieces of of waste coming from the lean management and this is what we're looking for basically yeah this is why we tell our people if you want to build an app please make sure that it creates value for the organization. And this means normally we need to either reduce waste or we need to add some value. Marius, that's where I'd like to take it next because so many innovation projects or test projects, they die with the demo or they die with the first test. And there are many, many reasons uh, you know, behind this, which we're not going to all cover here because you moved very rapidly to implementing it on a larger scale. Can you tell us how and what did you decide to do as the next step? Because, and it's not just in manufacturing, but m many projects just die on the vine. They were, something was tested. Well, either it was a failure and everyone agrees, but more typically, right? You could even say, yes, this was successful. But then people struggle, leaders struggle, and you struggle with figuring out what is now the next step because maybe it's expensive, maybe it requires more coordination. How did you move towards scaling it? I would absolutely agree the demo death is something quite common, in, especially, I think, in manufacturing industry. Pilot purgatory is another exactly. word for this, right? <laughs> it's all from Dante's Inferno. It's, it's, it's all bad and it's warm. <laughs> the problem from my point of view is 
there are so many also suppliers and solutions outside for the suitable problems in the companies, but you need to bring it to life and to live it. And I think this is many times what doesn't happen. And in our case, I think it was a mix of two things. It was a mix of, on the one hand, our executive board said very clear, we see a huge opportunity in Tulip to digitize our shop floors. So they had a very strong pull from the top. But in the moment when we started, and I said it before, we had a, we had a training and we launched this at the same time initially in five different plans. Then after the pilot, we did a bigger training together with 40 people pre-COVID in a classroom. Then afterwards, we went for one week to three different production sites with the people and we let them be app consultants. So we said, here, you're a group of 10 people, find your use cases, you know Tulip, build apps. And every afternoon, you go out to the people who are going to use it and you ask them, do they like it? Is it valuable for them? What should be different? So they started to learn building apps. This means that after two weeks, we had five plans already in the journey and they went back to their factories and they said, okay, we have a new tool in our toolbox. It's fun, basically, because people liked what they were doing. And they started to solve their own problems on a very high level of detail. This is something where we had a very strong momentum being created. And on the other hand, it was our central IT saying, great, you have a tool for your very nitty gritty problems where I do not want to know anything about. As long as you keep some guidelines and, and you keep it compliant, I'm fine with that. And we had suddenly a momentum of people of a group that started building apps without big instructions, but they just wanted to solve their real problems and it kept, it started to grow. Slowly, we added the other missing plans and yeah, within half a year, we had all the plans on board and they keep moving building apps. And meanwhile, there is no discussion if it's Tulip or another system. It's like, okay, we have Tulip, let's use it. Let's try to build something in it. Marius, I've never really heard people outside of, I guess, software development teams developing a new project. I never hear implementation of an IT system being fun. I just not, I don't hear that very often. <laughs> I would agree with you. I have also done like warehouse management system implementation and this stuff in the past. But in this case, people like what, because they have a playground. And what I'm always seeing is if you give some room for creativity to the people, they use it. And normally they use it also in the interest of the company. And with Tulip, you have a platform that first you can set it like that is more or less compliant to what your central IT wants. And second, you can add also hardware. And I mean, who do you have on your, on your shop floor in the manufacturing company? You have process engineers, you have work preparation, you have operators. Everybody likes technology. <laughs> so it's kind of the, the perfect thing for them to solve their problems. That kind of tinkering, right, is appreciated. But traditionally, the way we think of manufacturing, at least the last few years, right, has been... Oh, this is slow. It's complicated. It's, and, you, and then you have the whole dirty, dull, and dangerous. The way you speak about it, it seems to me that there certainly is room for a lot of enthusiasm, even though, you know, I, I'm sure there still are challenges on your shop floors as well. So as you started growing this, one other thing that could happen, of course, is that this goes crazy and everyone installs and builds and stuff and then you sort of lose control. How did you avoid that happening? Because if you really just let it all go and say, you know, decentralized every factory, you can do whatever you want. You talked a little bit about governance. How are you responsible for these plants and sites? How do you keep that necessary governance and control, even though you want to enable freedom? This is one of the biggest challenge for us. And I think it's not only with regards to Tulip, it's a challenge of digital transformations because there is no blueprint for anybody and people will need to have room to try out and to fail and to create maybe a problem, maybe violate a bit of compliance and then learn from it. This is going to happen if we want to move forward. For us, one key element is communication. And it sounds trivial, but let the people talk to each other and tell them what is good, what is bad and what they are allowed to do and what not. And by doing this, we have, of course, on the one hand, some technological compliance topics where you can set the platform. Yeah, The platform cannot access anywhere and it's not that anybody can just build any connector he or she wants. 
So this is number one. But then once you're inside the platform, of course, you can start also to build things that might be uh, not good anymore. Mm -hmm. And there we try to put people a bit more into responsibility. So when they build apps, they need to be aware of these issues. One example here is GDPR, which is a huge issue. I mean, you can, with a no-code platform, you can start building apps to track people. Do you want this? Most likely, in many cases, no. And in the cases where you want to do this on purpose, you need to align with somebody who is in charge for this topic. So this is what we communicate very actively. And what we're doing is we have every two weeks, we call it an all-hands meeting, where we come together from all our implementing sites and we exchange very briefly, 60 minutes, it's one touch point. People are informed and they go back. If they have any issue, they can escalate. We can solve it, they go back. So it's a lot about communication and then step-by-step step moving forward. So you did move forward. Where are you now with the implementation? And maybe you can explain this issue of stations because there's a certain number of stations you said that you're using with Tulip. Give a sense of the context of what size means in terms of having implemented this app-based system. So you know, one unit is stations, another unit is number of apps, and then obviously the different sort of functionality that you have implemented. Give us a scope of where you are right now, sort of like fall 2021 across the organization. This is something we're tracking very closely because it shows us if we are still moving or if we stop moving. And as I said before, we are on the one hand focusing on our production sites, which if we look on legal entities in Europe, it's nine. And then we have also further functions involved that are using Tulip, like our service, like our spare parts unit. So altogether, we have 14 units using Tulip within the, the European part of our company. Among them, we're currently planning to reach the 1000 stations by end of the year. So this is something we want to reach. What does it mean a station? You, you asked before, a station is basically related to a physical workstation. Yeah, this can be a terminal where somebody goes and interacts with. It can be like a pre-assembly station where you install any kind of user interface, but it can also be, and there it gets um, also interesting, it can be, for example, a laptop of a quality guy yeah, that is partly sitting in, in the office doing quality planning, but doing quality checks outside with his, his device. So a station is something where a person is going to interact with. Among these, uh, these stations, we're currently having a bit more than 150 different apps being built, productively built, or using them in, in production. Of course, apps is, depends on how you build it, how you slice it. It can go up, it can go down if people decide to rebuild things. But it shows us that meanwhile, we have seen a lot of activity, which is kind of getting anchored in our daily processes. And I think this is something that is important to evaluate is are you building things that are nice to have or are you building things that you need in your daily operations and people will have a problem if it's not there anymore and we're more and more going into a relevant part of our operation processes so obviously in a traditional factory a workstation is simply a physical you know maybe table or a physical part of a floor where someone does a lot of their activity but what you're saying is with this concept it's actually a piece of hardware and a, a, and software it's a unit of information processing that is a station and that station doesn't necessarily have to reside on the shop floor i guess it's kind of the office of the worker <laughs> yeah it's, it's a good point to describe it like that and if you play it further of course it can be the device but the big advantage of tulip is you can also connect iot hardware so to the station, you can connect IoT devices and make it smarter, interact with sensors and devices. And then a station becomes like a small ecosystem for the worker. And what decides what kind of devices can be connected to this uh, workstation? So, for example, can you give me a sense? So you just pick one of your factories where you have implemented a, a bunch of different things. So, you know, how many machines would be connected to this system? Maybe as a percentage of how many total machines would be currently on that shop floor? What we need to look at is we always see Tulip in two different areas of application. One is the human being in the center. So mm -hmm. I'm having like manual processes, which is traditionally pre-assembly, assembly, commissioning processes. And we have machining processes where the machine is in the center of it. We started with the assembly focus because 
among our production sites in Europe, what unites us is that we have assembly tasks being done there. We have only in few sites uh, machining processes with tooling machines inside, huh? even though we produce tooling machines, but we don't use them in a couple of months. So therefore, I think it's, it's better to look at uh, instead of machines, um, this is still on our roadmap to connect also these machine shop floors. But what we see is more to connect people and make them smarter on the shop floor because this is our biggest pain. All right, so let's move then a little bit to the impact that you're seeing of all of these implementations. So you gave me the stat early on that the first implementation of Tulip took three weeks and then you moved to a bigger implementation and you said within sort of six months you had a sizable amount of factory sites and, and stations you know, in active use, a, a big deployment. What sort of impact are you seeing and on what vectors are you measuring and tracking this impact? The impact is one of the most important things for us. It's what I said before, and I think this is also maybe partly a problem of this pilot topic uh, that people do not see an impact and they don't believe that this will bring any value because how we do it today has worked for many times. <laughs> Therefore, what we are using is something that we have been using in the past also in our continuous improvement approach, and we call it net benefit. What is it? You look at 12 months, you ask yourself, what is my saving or improvement that I plan? What is my cost that I'm going to have for the implementation, including internal costs like people working on the app, hardware that you need to purchase, license costs, etc. And if the saving is higher than the cost, you have, we call it net benefit. So within 12 months. And this is something we're asking the people to do when they start with a new use case because they have an idea and we don't want to spend efforts on things that are not going to bring value for the organization. So we tell them, please sit down, have a look at the process, try to identify the waste that we were talking about before, because yeah, people like to have screens everywhere and then maybe management is walking through and wants another screen. It's also nice, but where is the benefit coming from? And this is what people need to do. Then they can start really building the app. And when we do this, and this is what I said, we are focusing on improvements and savings as well as the costs. And then at the end, you have this, uh, you can calculate a return on invest. And for us, uh, the average ROI is seven to eight months. So what we see is that in a bit more than half a year, the use case is paying back. And then it starts bringing value continuously to the organization. And I think this is great to see that People do not need to wait years and years until there is maybe a payback and you get in discussions with your controlling if this is worth it or not. But you can say, look, this is really what I plan in a very short time period. And this short time period also ensures that, yeah, there might be a bit of changes, but it's not a five-year topic where the world is turning and big things are changing, but it's something that you can control very well. So for us, this net benefit and the ROI is one of the biggest eKPIs. I was curious when you said that it, it's continuous improvement, because obviously an improvement that only happens once is only so valuable. You can say, all right, well, you know, we reduced X percent of, of waste. But if it doesn't continue, you could sort of argue that it's still a stale system. How do you account for the fact that the improvements keep continuing? Wouldn't there be diminishing returns on any system that's implemented? I mean, first... One of the biggest points is that it should pay back within less than a year. So this is something where I think there is no more discussion. And what we like to do is have a look on the saving from after this year one, because it tells the people really how much potential is there. Also to say, look, it, it's worth it to spend some efforts and invest maybe on this topic. If it comes to continuous improvement, I think there will always be People that will find things to say, okay, do you know if this is really living like this? Does it bring the value or not? And our decision here was we try to link it to operational KPIs to say, for example, there is an app that is providing support in the pre-assembly of this specific product or component. And on this component, we have currently failure rate or scrap rate or whatever of X percent, and we try to reduce it. And... This is data we're, we're logging anyway, or otherwise you can log it easily with Tulip. And from this point, you can start tracking it further on. And so you can continuously control if the app is delivering the positive benefit for the organization or not. 
So I know I can't push you to give individual ROI benefits for, for projects, you know, linked back to specific dollar or percentage amounts, but can you give me just a sense of when you think about a discrete sort of savings, what happens essentially if you have figured out that, oh, you saved 170000 or you saved 200000 what is done with that number? And by the way, is the system you talked about to track ROI, are you using your own system or did you kind of adapt and have to use a TULIP-based system to track this ROI? The ROI currently, we have fully adapted our logic from our existing continuous improvement system. And we're still on the way to really bring all the information also into the system because the background is the following. We don't want that Tulip is becoming a parallel universe than continuous improvement because we see it as important that people are seeing Tulip as a possible solution for their problem. This is why we need to carefully say, okay, basically we need to have one pool of problems, of ideas, and then we need to select from there how are we going to solve them and Tulip is one option to solve this. Hmm. So we're currently using our global system that we're using for idea collecting and also project follow-up and then later on reporting. And the big advantage is there is a workflow behind. So people who are in charge later on of the KPIs, they need to say, yes, this was worth it. Yeah, It's not just somebody who builds something and says, ah, it's nice. But it's somebody who, who maybe has uh, his or her annual goal related to it and says, okay, yes, I believe this is the right thing and I can see it in my numbers that uh, we're doing well. I want to take us to kind of these big management paradigms that you've been alluding to, you know, throughout because continuous improvement, right, comes from this lean tradition, which, you know, started in kind of the automotive and certainly in machine industries, which is very familiar to you. But then the IT term is agile. So agile development was, you know, big in IT circles. And then it seems to me that we are now talking about some sort of combination of digital and lean, which, you know, some sort of I have called it digital lean. You could call it agile with lean. What is all of the terms? Does that matter to how the work process changes or you know, the way that you think of training your organization going forward? Are you essentially thinking in terms of what, what are the management principles behind all of this? Or would you say it's more of a natural evolution where sort of these concepts that have originated on the factory floors, but then it got extracted into kind of training manuals and obviously have been very important on the shop floor to track quality. To what extent is all of this turning into a managed process versus this bottom-up thing that we were talking about? It's a pretty good point. I think what is interesting, also if you look at us, we started two, three years ago, something that we call a digital Lean Six Sigma activity. So we are doing classical, so to say, belt trainings, uh, yeah, yellow belt, green belt, black belts to people. And we're training them in the methods that are being applied in, in these processes and in these improvement processes. And it was a decision back then to name it Digital Lean Six Sigma because it was not something that should stay kind of in the past. And then there is another group of people that is sitting in co-working spaces, drinking uh, chai latte and doing digital projects. And on the other hand, there is the process improvement crew that is doing the hard work down there. <laughs> and so this should not happen. And I think therefore it was a good decision. And for us, it pays into the same bucket because if you follow these methods and for example, you're in the analyzing phase of the demake process, yeah, you, you define, you analyze and now with digital tools, you have much better possibilities to analyze data. I mean, sometimes the data is there. Otherwise, for example, you can build a Tulip app and you can collect the data very easily. And later on in the improvement phase, which solution do you implement? You, you might implement a digital solution because it, it might be helpful for the people once, but you can also track, and we said it before, your continuous KPIs continuously live. You don't need to do it at the end of the month and you see, ah, oh, this month we, we failed. It's like, no, you will see it on day three that you're not on the right track. <laughs> Therefore, we see it's going to be a combination of both that brings the company forward. And for us, it's a decision on purpose to combine them because we believe it's wrong to have two different groups, projects to tackle these topics. Marius, 
sometimes when people talk loosely about technology and you know throw around the term like AI or machine learning or you know any kind of analytics term it seems perhaps to the casual observer that these things are shelfware and they're super easy and you know they're becoming kind of commoditized so the question then when it comes to implementing these technologies how difficult is it integrating these systems into your workflow and how quickly that can be done so you've made some good improvements and you're seeing continuous improvements in other industries and actually in the manufacturing industry in the past there were these almost revolutionary developments a lot of people are hoping that digitalization is a similar kind of revolutionary engine the way you've been talking now though it seems to me that there's a lot of tinkering going on so it's not just you know these cookie cutter fantastic efficiency approaches can immediately just launch on on the shop floor so if you think you know more going forward what is the outlook for i guess a deep sort of digital transformation of specifically the workflow the operational practice in manufacturing i fully agree that these buzzwords are used very often very easy and the problem is everybody knows them and everybody says ah oh, let's do it but what does it specifically mean in the end and there it gets more difficult to to look at and i think there is different levels of this question for us on the one hand there is a technology level of this question so this means if i look at it systems we're doing our backbone work what i said before with the erp system this is going to be for us a huge change in our way of working and availability of data in a standardized way this is going to bring us forward this is more a revolution than a than an evolution then you have technology like hardware devices that are there they are commodity you can go out you can buy augmented glasses you can buy sensor sets cameras and so on and so forth this is there and you will also find people suppliers that are able to implement it the problem is they do not have the domain knowledge of your specific process and yes you can do it together but in the end you might have a solution that is there like a black box and nobody wants to touch it and you hope it keeps running if i want to look a bit into the future and say what is going to happen there i'm absolutely convinced that taking the people on this journey is one of the key success factors because it's a cultural change it's like becoming being open communicating sharing ideas very early to not build things that are not possible to run in your operations and this is why i personally believe that a tool like tulip it's helping you to do these iterations and involve the people because they start with a use case where they believe it's worth to do it this is first a better motivation than having another pilot coming into your house so they have a problem they want to solve and then they find out ah maybe we want to integrate um certain talk wrenches or with vision we can monitor how many people are walking in this assembly cell how many meters if you want to do a process improvement so people will find problems and and analyze them and will try to find a good technological solution for that but this means that they need to have the knowledge there so i need to involve them but i also need to inform them what is there i need to bring the use case and the offer together it's interesting then that the road that you have taken with tulip started with this very broad project where you did try all of the different tools in the toolbox i guess but then part of it is you could say low hanging fruits like there's a paper based process and you're just trying to digitize the availability even of some work instructions and very basic work instructions even perhaps so there's super low hanging fruit but then as you attach these sensors and your machines and and then move on to kind of vision systems and attach cameras that are actually sensing the spatial configuration and stuff and then maybe uh, you know move on to like you said ar glasses eventually it seems that there's an enormous array of different things that you can do how long would you say that we can actually continue even just making these low hanging fruit types of improvements until we actually need to make these true kind of augmented and you know ai based improvements in other words do we have another 10 years where we can implement just plain old efficiency approaches but in you know in in more clever ways using apps and and, and these systems or is the baseline for example at dmg mori 
has it become so advanced over these last two years, I guess, with uh, implementing these systems that you are now ready for a lot of these super advanced technologies? Because it is a process, right? After all, it's all a process. Absolutely. It's a process. But on the other hand, what we also see, and this, this goes a bit back to what you've said before, revolution, evolution. What we are seeing is, of course, we are trying to advance our assembly systems, our production systems. And the good point is right now, by starting to learn on the technologies, people have a broader set of tools available. And once it comes to, a, in our case, we could see it in the past in one of our factories in South Germany, where we changed into a big flow line assembly, where we manufacture tooling machines in a flow line driven by AGVs. So this is something that was not there before. Eh? And people suddenly started to push the ideas to the very limit. So they wanted the revolution. They didn't just want to evolve. And the point here is that by having suddenly some digital tools in their toolbox, and Tulip is one of them, they could make it. I'm absolutely convinced that five years ago, they would, in this way, how they did it now, they would not have dared because they were not so far and they did not have the knowledge internally also to control and orchestrate these technologies. And therefore, I'm absolutely convinced that the more you learn on a daily basis and not just, I mean, there is, of course, low hanging fruits and people should take it. But people, and this is what I said before, people are interested in technology. So suddenly they go to a factory and they say, oh, look, Marlis, what I have here. And they show you some IoT integration with digital calipers. And yeah, we bought it from our local supplier and they gave us something to try. And now we have implemented it and it directly gives us the values without writing them. So it's not out of the standard Tulip toolbox, but they managed to build this and implement it. And this is where these two things come together. So people are evolving. They have a better knowledge, understanding of digitization technologies. And then when it comes to a bigger challenge, like new product launch, operation strategy pivot, um, maybe review of um, how you want to organize your assembly, then you can bring everything together and you can push these revolutionary improvements. That's uh, super interesting because, I mean, that's obviously a whole other level of impact if you can prove that some of these tools actually puts you in terms of product evolution on a different scale or, or even, you know, massive innovations that, you know, historically... <laughs> Every company sh should have a set of innovations, but uh, it's easy to talk about, you know, we're going to launch a big innovation, but you're, you're saying that you're seeing some signs that this platform is starting to potentially have this effect of much larger changes, not just the sort of efficiency and improvements. That's interesting. Well, last question then, Marius, if you want to speculate, you know, what is basically going to be the trajectory of a platform like Tulip or this sort of app-based approach, where where can it go? In other words, when all of your employees and many, many more of your machines are all connected, is it kind of an end result to start projecting or do, is there no saying where that can go? Because, you know, surely you don't just add on. It's not like two plus two, you know, is four. At some point, there is an aggregated effect of all of these things being connected to each other. What kinds of things do you think will start to happen? For me, there are certain waves that will go through right now. We see on the one hand, this wave of no paper. Now you want to have paperless production. This has been there for a while already, but I think right now it really gets into something feasible. You will learn a lot about your processes and standardize them because you will be forced to by IT solutions, by digital solutions. So this is, for me, the immediate, what's immediately going to happen. Then the second point is what we said, integrate more and more IoT hardware. This is happening already, partly. What it will lead to is that we will need to get a much better feeling of how to manage this hardware, how to orchestrate it. How do we also consume all this data that is produced from this hardware? Because today we don't have it. Yeah? So it will open up a complete new universe to us of data and we need to be able to get the data, to process it and to interpret it and to bring it together with today's operational data that we know. And then you are in this classical yeah, buzzword <laughs> topics that, but then they will be really become true because then you can start predicting because you will have enough data, you will have enough tools and, and connected points to say, okay, look, this is what normally happens here. You can start to predict things. You can run certain analytics over your data. 
and really say, okay, if we're going to do this, this might happen. If we have that set up, um, there's a high risk that um, scenario X or Y will happen. And through this, we will move on and on further. Another interesting point is that I want to mention here, and this is already much more there, is all this virtual world, which was, from my point of view, pushed a lot during the last two years during COVID, because people could not travel, people could not meet. And suddenly also we had to find solutions how we can interact with each other, but in another way. And then you've come up with solutions like AR glasses, different uh, video systems, and so on and so forth. To what extent will a factory be a virtual unit, right? These are big questions, but for now you do have a bunch of physical factories and they are rapidly digitizing. It's exciting to see, uh, Marius, thank you so much for sharing what's happening inside of DMG Mori. You're very welcome. It was very interesting to discuss with you. You have just listened to episode 66 of the Augmented Podcast with host Trun Arne Unheim. The topic was DMG Morris Digital Lean Journey, and our guest was Marius Schmidt, Head of Operational Excellence at DMG Mori. In this conversation, we talked about the operational aspects of industrial manufacturer DMG Mori's path-breaking digital transformation. My takeaway is that deep industrial transformation is not just a digital challenge but requires a fundamentally different operational mindset beyond lean management, one that more fully embraces the potential of the human industrial frontline worker. That shift is a journey, not a switch. On the other hand, the impact over time measured in months, not in years, is not only an immense return on investment, but also a transition from dirty, dangerous and dull jobs to ever cleaner, safer and more exciting jobs. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at augmentedpodcast.co or in your preferred podcast player, and please rate us with five stars. If you liked this episode, you might also like episode 20, the digitalization of Kerber, episode 23, digital manufacturing in the cloud, or episode 27, industry 4.0 tools. Hopefully, you'll find something awesome in these or other episodes, and if so, do let us know by messaging us. We would love to share your thoughts with other listeners. The Augmented Podcast is created in association with Tulip, a connected frontline operation platform that connects the people, machines, devices, and the systems used in a production or logistics process in a physical location. Tulip is democratizing technology and empowering those closest to operations to solve problems. Tulip is also hiring. You can find Tulip at tulip.co. Please share this show with colleagues who care about where the industry and especially where industrial tech is headed. To find us on social media is easy. We are Augmented Pod on LinkedIn and Twitter and Augmented Podcast on Facebook and YouTube. Augmented, industrial conversations that matter. See you next time.